we are still amidst the Ten Commandments, and we're up to commandment number five of the Ten Commandments, which is number 33 overall, and that is Kabed Esavicha Ve'esimecha, honor your father and your mother. Now, today we're going to do not only Mitzvah 33, honor your father and your mother, we're also going to do a sister Mitzvah, Mitzvah number 212, and that is to fear your father and your mother. And the Talmud even links these two together. There's two separate mitzvos that are connected with respect to how someone treats their parents. On one hand, there's the positive side, so to speak. you got to honor them. On the other hand, there's the negative side. You have to fear them. You have to kind of have trepidation around them. And most people know about honoring your father and mother. Few people have uh, – or fewer people have heard of the other mitzvah to fear your father and mother. And the Talmud connects them because there's there are different elements of – our relationship with our parents that are fall under the categories of honor versus fear your father and mother. And finally, I want to do two more mitzvahs because they're also somewhat related, and that is a special mitzvah not to curse, God forbid, your father or mother, and not to strike your father and mother. Both of those two are actually capital crimes. If someone curses their father and mother in a certain way, we'll get to some of those details a little bit, or if someone strikes their father or mother in, again in a certain way, and like all capital crime cases, it has to be done with witnesses and testimony and all that, cross-examination, but theoretically, it is indeed a capital crime, a very severe crime. So four different mitzvahs today, 33, honor your father and mother, 212, Fear your parents, 260, not to curse your parents, and 48, not to strike your parents. And again, the numbers that we're giving is the numbers in which they appear in the Torah. These are not these are not a hierarchy of importance. These are just in the order that they appear in the Torah. All six 13 mitzvahs appear in verses in the Torah. And the order that the numbers that we're assigning to them are the numbers in which they appear in the Torah. Okay, so let's begin. Mitzvah number 33, it's the mitzvah to honor your father and mother. As it says in Exodus chapter 20, on your father and your mother, so that you may have a long life. And there are details as to what that means. What does it mean? It's not a fuzzy, abstract thing. Oh, give them honor. The Talmud explains what are the parameters of honoring your father and mother. Similarly, in Leviticus 19, a very f- uh, famous chapter in Leviticus, we read about Ish Imo Ve'aviv Tiro, a man shall fear his father and mother. And that tells us, that mitzvah tells us that we have to have a certain degree of trep- trepidation from your parents. Now, it, it is interesting, the Talmud points this out, that something you might have missed if you didn't read it very critically. It says, Honor your father and your mother. So who, who are we told about first? First you honor your father, and then you honor your mother. Whereas when it says to fear your parents, it doesn't say fear your father and your mother. It says the opposite. It says fear your mother and then your father. So Thomas says, wait a minute. Why is there... This uh, inconsistency, why when it comes to honoring your parents as father than mother, and why when it says to fear your parents, does it say mother and father? The Talmud says something interesting thing. The Talmud says that a person naturally loves their mother more than their father. And a person naturally fears their father more than their mother. And the way this is always told over is like you very rarely hear of of dad 
telling a child, you wait till your mother gets home. It's always the opposite, right? It's, oh, you wait till your daddy gets home, you know? The, the father kind of is the, is the imposing figure. And of course, there are exceptions, of course. But generally speaking, or stereotypically, typically, the father is the one that commands a certain degree of fear, and the mother commands a certain degree of love, and that's usually the interplay between the, the parents' relationship with the children, and therefore, it's the opposite, because you naturally are inclined to love your mother, to honor your mother more, it says honor your father and your mother, to honor them the same. Whereas when it comes to fearing your parents, you naturally fear your father more, and therefore it switches the order, fear your mother and your father, again, you have to fear them the same. The Talmud has a whole series of questions, what do you do? You know, your mother asks you to get her a glass of water, your father asks you to get a glass of water, who do you choose first, and what if they're divorced? All kinds of interesting questions, we'll get into some of them uh, in a little bit. Now, what's the rationale behind this mitzvah? So this, I think, is one of the easiest mitzvahs to understand, like, what the message is, like, why, like, how do we understand the, the lesson, the underlying principle and maybe there's a few answers, but I think the simplest, simplest answer is that, you know, after all, who has done more for you than your parents? No one. They're the ones that without them, you would not exist. They, they literally brought you into this world. Not only that, they cared for you. They fed you and they worried for you and they paid an exorbitant amount of money to raise you. They say it's like a, like $300,000 to raise a kid today to the age of 18. It's, uh, it's prohibitively expensive to have children. But they did it anyhow. They woke up in the middle of the night for you and they cleaned your diapers and they uh, cleaned up your vomit and they tended to you and they gave you love. They gave you everything. And it's only natural when someone does you a favor, even if it's a minor favor, you have a tendency to reciprocate. And here, there's no people in the world more than your father and your mother that have done so much for you, it's only natural for you to reciprocate and to give gratitude and to not be someone who feels like they're entitled and feels like, oh, I don't need to honor them. They're my, oh, my parents. I don't, I don't need to accord them respect after all, they're not as cool, they're not so cool. But that characteristic, says the Sefer Chinuch, there's nothing worse than that. When someone has entitlement, when someone has ingratitude, there's nothing worse than that because it means they don't appreciate what they have. And this mitzvah is not just to kind of have a token gratitude towards our parents, but really, really to dwell on this point, to think about the fact that your entire world, your entire existence is solely due to your parents of course, with, uh, with the Almighty as well. The Talmud says that there's three partners in every person, father, mother, and God. These are the people who brought you into the world, and therefore all honor that you could possibly accord to them, and all fear that you could, all trepidation, all respect that you could have for them, that is worthy. They are deserving of that. And then he adds, and the Talmud uh, hints at this, when you do that, what will naturally result is that same sort of dual emotions to God. When you think about the fact that when someone does something for you, you naturally want to reciprocate. And when someone does a lot for you, you want to reciprocate a lot and you develop respect for them because they're good and they give good. Well, 
your parents, of course, more than any other humans, have given you life and given you so much. And therefore, gratitude to them is appropriate. Respect for them makes sense. However, what, what that will naturally lead is that you'll also say, well, even more than my parents, God gave me everything. Because, of course, God gave me my parents. And even the parents, they cannot reproduce without God. And my vision, you know, is something that I have from God. And my, the Talmud says that every time we breathe, we're really supposed to thank God. Everything that we have is from God. And there's a connection here between that the relationship we have with our parents and the relationship that we ought to have with God. And the Talmud says that it says, honor your father and mother. It says, honor God. Again, there's a certain parallel between the two. Fear your parents, fear God. There's a certain equivalence given to the relationship we have with our parents and to the relationship with God, and it goes both ways. We're supposed to, when we dwell on our parents and what they do for us, we also remember the fact that God does a lot for us, but also vice versa, we remember the importance that our parents have because they're partners with God in bringing us to the world. So what are the, what are the parameters of honoring your parents and having respect for your parents? Salman gives a list of things that we need to do and that we cannot do for this. Says the Talmud, what does it mean to fear your parents and what does it mean to honor your parents? To fear your parents means not to stand in their place, not to sit in their place. If your daddy has a designated place by the table, this is his seat, this is his spot in the couch, you're not allowed to sit there. It's his. You have to have a certain reverence. You cannot contradict your parents' words. Daddy says something, and I, sh- I assume this uh, happens a lot, uh, you know, <laughs> kids talk about politics. D- Daddy says something, mommy says something, you say, well, that's actually not true for this and this and this and this reason. Un- unless, unless you have a, qua- uh, by, by Torah standards, unless someone has requested permission to disagree with their, their, their parents and the parents granted that permission, you're not allowed to disagree with them. Amazing thing. You have to ask for permission to speak freely. It is important to differentiate between uh, an obvious blunder that they want you to tell them about versus disagreeing. So if they're driving the wrong direction, they, they, they miss the exit and they're just driving in the opposite direction, they want you to say, I, I think we missed the exit and let's quickly make the U-turn because you're not really disagreeing with them. You're just pointing out that they missed the turn. Moreover, not only are we not allowed to contradict our parents and disagree with them unless we have permission to do so, we're not allowed to agree with them. How so? Your parent is having a discussion with someone else, and they're arguing about something. And actually, you believe that your parent is correct. So what are you going to say? Well, actually, my dad, my mom, they're correct. That's not allowed, unless you you have permission. Why? Because when someone, you really have trepidation, you say, I am not, it's like a moderator by a debate. You know, it's, it's their debate. I'm, I'm on a lower level. I have a different job. But certainly the crowd, they're not allowed to take sides, right? It's, it's the debate between the two candidates. Similarly, when your parent is having a conversation, when you say, oh, I agree, you're saying I'm equivalent to my parent. And therefore, my acquiescence, my agreement holds water. But no, if you really fear them, 
you realize that they are on a higher stature than you, and therefore you cannot not only contradict them, you cannot disagree with them. You're not allowed to call them by the first name. And not when they are alive, not, they, not after they have passed. Moreover, this is something very fascinating. If you have a friend who has the same name as your dad or your mom, you cannot call your friend by that name if it's an uncommon name. This is something which is subject to, obviously, it's a, there's some gray area here. But suppose... Your father has, or your mother has a very uncommon name. You have a different friend with that same name. You have to make a modification to that name because that name, you, people, when they hear, they could think that you're referring to your parent, and therefore you have to alter that. So, for example, I, I remember in fourth grade, I had a, uh, a teacher who would call one of the students, whose name was Shmuel, Samuel, he would call him Reb Shmuel. Rabbi Samuel, this is a fourth grader, nine years old. Why is he calling him Rabbi Samuel? Because his father was Samuel as well. And he says he doesn't call anyone whose name Samuel, even if it's one of the, his charges, one of his students, he doesn't call him just Samuel because you can't just call him Samuel. You have to alter it. You have to give a term of distinction. You have to say Rabbi Samuel. Now, it's clear that this would only apply when the name is unusual. That's what the Ramam tells us. It's only when it's unusual. He says, if, if it's a name like Abraham, like Isaac, like Jacob, like Moses, names that are ubiquitous in the Jewish world, then you have to worry about calling your friend Moshe if your father is, is Moshe. My father is Rabbi Abraham. I call him Rabbi Abraham, even if he's not really a rabbi. But I call him that because he's my father. I have to add a term of distinction. But if I have a friend named Abraham, because Abraham is such a common name, this law wouldn't apply. But an interesting thing, like there's certain sensitivity, a certain reverence and respect that we're not, we're not accustomed to. So that is to respect. Those are the laws of respecting, of fearing parents. What about honoring parents? It means to give them food. It means to give them drink. It means to clothe them. It means to cover them. So let's say they need help adjusting their blanket or whatever. And the Talmud has a debate, well, who has to pay for that? You know, if you have to feed your parents, who's got to pay for it? And the Talmud ultimately concludes that the money for the meal has got to be covered by your parents. But you don't have to go spend the money to buy the food to feed the parents. But if there is food, you have to bring them, you have to feed it to, to them. Uh, unless the parents are destitute, then the child would be obligated to pay for it as well. And it means to tend to them, to tend to them in any way uh, that they potentially uh, may need. So those are the basic laws of honoring and respecting your parents. Now, the Talmud tells us a great story about this, about one of the great rabbis. The Talmud has a list of these amazing stories about honoring your parents. One of them is this, uh, one of the rabbis, he was a great scholar in his own merit. His name was Avimi. And he had five of his children, of his sons, were also great scholars and also great rabbis. So there's the grandfather, the father, and the five sons. And the Talmud tells that when his father, so the grandfather, when he would come to the door and knock on the door, the son would, as he was going to run to open the door, he would cry out to him and say, I'm coming, I'm coming. So his father wouldn't have to say, is he there? Are they not there? 
kind of this, uh, they wouldn't have to have that uncertainty he, to remove the uncertainty. He was so careful about the feelings of his father that even to remove the uncertainty of will they be there, will they not be there for those five seconds, when he would go open the door, he would cry out, I'm coming, I'm coming, don't worry about it, I'll be there in, I'll be there in a second. And then tells another great story. His father, grandfather in this, in this, uh, in this trilogy was requested a, a glass of water. So he goes and gets some glasses of water. But because the grandpa's old, he gets there and he, father has fallen asleep. So what do you do? So you put the glass down by the table. He says, no. He's standing right there, hunched over him until the father wakes up. So Thomas says a story. Until the father wakes up, he's there so that he shouldn't have to say, where's the water that I ordered? Oh, and look for it and find it. And then the Talmud says that as he's standing there, bent over, who knows how long it was, we don't know, but waiting for his father to wake up, the Talmud says that he had a brilliant insight in, in, a, in, a, in scripture. Just a side note, as, as he's there, it's almost like as a, in the merit of his superlative honoring of his father, he uh, was able to unlock a new insight in, in Torah learning. That's one of the great stories. But again, it, it shows us the degree to which uh, we must honor and respect our parents. Now, there's many laws. In fact, in the Torch Center, we have an entire book called The Fifth Commandment. So it's a whole book on this one mitzvah, which is the fifth of the Ten Commandments, to honor your parents. I want to go through uh, quickly some of the laws that relate to honoring your parents. So what if your parents are not, they're not, they're not such great people? They're sinners, they're wicked, are you allowed to disrespect them? Must you honor them? The answer is yes. You must still accord them honor. You must still respect them, even if they are sinners. And the Talmud even says, even if they're crazy. Talmud gives a great story about one of the rabbis whose mother was delusional. You know, she was very old and starting to lose it a little bit. And she wanted like a nice, she wanted to get married. But she wanted like a nice, you know, hot stud. She wanted like a young husband. Because she's like in her head that that made sense for her. So she's like commanding her son to go find, and he's going crazy like with this, you know, this woman went totally loon bag. So he had to escape. He went all the way to Babylon to escape her. And Thomas like, did he make the right, did he make the right decision? Did he make the wrong decision? And it teaches us uh, the lesson is that even though the parent went crazy, there was still an obligation of, of honoring your parents. But generally speaking, you know, you have to give your parents honor even if they're crazy. However, if they're so crazy, they're totally unmanageable, then you could abdicate because you just, you're not equipped to deal with that. So the idea of like putting your parents in a home, quote unquote, that is something which would be okay provided that they're totally, can't t- they not, they're not functional. But if they're somewhat functional or they're, so, they're only somewhat uh, in, incapable of, of tending themselves, then you would, the responsibilities will kick in for you to, to, to go help them as much as you can. Okay, so, so the, the, there are certain aspects of behavior that the parents cannot mandate the child obeys. So, for example, Talmud says you have a Kohen, a priest, and he's not allowed to walk into a cemetery. It's a law, the Torah. Daddy says, okay, go to the cemetery for me, please. You have two competing mitzvahs. You have a mitzvah of honoring your father. You got to listen to them. You have a mitzvah of not walking into the Cemetery. Well, which one do you do? So Talmud tells us that because your father or your mother, they're also subject to God. So you're subject to God. They're subject to God. 
and you're only subject to them. God is not subject to them. Therefore, because your father also must listen to God, therefore, when he or your mother, they tell you to disobey or disregard the instruction of God, you don't need to listen to them. In that, in that instance, the laws of honor your parents don't apply. So another example of that would be, suppose someone wants to get married and parents disapprove of it. So sometimes the parents' disapproval is actually because they are able to see the child's infatuated and they're not able to see clearly. So that sometimes it might be good advice to listen to the parents. But somehow parents decide, you know what, we don't like this person and they don't have a legitimate reason. And they just want to say, you know, you're our child. Torah says you have to honor your parents. You got to listen to us. You got to respect us. You have to listen to us 100%. In that instance, the child would not be obligated to listen to their parents. It might be good advice, again, if it is good advice. But if it's not good advice, then they're not obligated to listen to their parents because the parents do not have control over that. If the child is married and the parents are intervening or interfering uh, in the child's life, the child has to know that their allegiances lie more with their spouse than with their parents. And therefore, the parents, for example, say a snide comment to their spouse, they have to defend their spouse because that's more important. That said, they should try to do it in a respectful way and uh, maybe try to sidestep the problem, maybe move out of town, but their obligations to their parents still stand. They still have to honor their parents. They still have to respect them. However, their higher priority is their priority to their spouse. So what happens if you believe that your parent is making a mistake? This is not a mistake in traffic and driving, but a mistake, they're behaving properly, they're, they're doing something wrong, they're doing something against total loss, just an example. They don't know necessarily uh, that this, this practice is wrong. So again, you have a problem because you have to correct them, you have to critique them, but you can't make them look like a fool, you can't embarrass them. So the Talmud tells us an interesting workaround to this problem. You don't say, oh, daddy, you've transgressed the Torah law. <laughs> Instead, what you tell them Daddy, doesn't it say in this and this place that this and this practice is prohibited? It's like you're talking about, it's totally theoretical, and you're just talking about the actual law itself, and you're not applying it to this situation and to their behavior, and it's a way to inform them about, uh, about what is the proper way without actually confronting them, without correcting them, without embarrassing them. Now, there are two more mitzvahs I want to get to before I talk more broadly about the relationship of the proper relationship of child to, uh, to the parent. And that's the mitzvah 48 and mitzvah uh, 260, which are to not strike your parent and to not curse them. Uh, if someone strikes them, even if they don't kill them, it is actually a capital offense. We read it a few weeks ago in the parsha. Uh, Exodus 21, if someone strikes a father or mother, they shall surely be put to death. It's important to stress, this is only true, it's only a capital punishment if they drew blood. So if they just hit them, but it's not doesn't cause a wound, uh, that would not qualify. Now there's a general mitzvah of not hitting anyone. We don't, we don't strike anyone, that's a prohibition. But specifically here, there's an added prohibition to not strike a parent, and that has an, a greater uh, severity. It's a capital offense in the event that someone would draw blood. Uh, a very severe punishment here that we're, we're told that if someone strikes their parents and they draw blood, that would be an actual transgression that warrants capital punishment uh, under certain circumstances. The Talmud has an interesting question. What's the halacha if someone's father 
let's say, was guilty of a crime, and the punishment was that they had to be beaten up by the court. Yeah, sometimes there's certain laws where they get lashes. And the son of that particular person is the actual executioner or the – he's the one who meets out the punishment. He's the punishment guy. He's the one who strikes the guilty. And his father happens to be the next one on the list, on the docket. Is he allowed to do it? So in this case, it would not be something that would warrant capital punishment, but they should find someone else. Similarly, if the child happens to be a physician – or let's say the child's a surgeon and the dad needs uh, surgery on his shoulder or whatever kind of surgery. Needs open-heart surgery. Child's the expert. So here the child has to make an incision. Has to actually do a wound that's not a harmful wound, it's a positive wound, but it is a wound nonetheless. Should the child be the physician or should they find a different physician? So the halacha is with respect to this particular law of striking your parent, the halacha is that you... If there's no one else, then you should do it, of course, because the needs of the healing uh, supersede everything. But if there is someone else who is equally competent, you should abdicate the job to someone else. And then we have the mitzvah of uh, not to curse your parents. Uh, important to stress, this is only when someone curses them using God's name. God's uh, one of the special names of God. And it's interesting that the Talmud tells us that there's a difference between striking one's parent and cursing one parent with respect to after they die. If someone strikes their parent after they die, that would not be a capital offense, whereas if someone curses them after they die, that would. And included in this, of course, not to shame them or embarrass them in any way. Uh, That would also be included in not cursing them, not embarrassing them, uh, would be included in in that. Now, I want to go through some of the stories in the Talmud about honoring your parents. There's one very famous story in the Talmud, in the book of Kedushin, page 31a, the Talmud says, how far does the mitzvah of honoring your parents, how far does it extend? And it gives a story about this idolater who lived in the city of Ashkelon, which is a little bit north of Gaza, on the coast of Israel. And his name was Dama ben Nisina. And he was a gem trader. And one of the two stones that goes on the shoulder plates of the aphod, which is one of the garments of the high priest, one of them got dislodged and was lost. And this guy owned a yashve, which is a certain kind of stone that was needed to replace the one that was missing. And the Talmud tells us that he had it in his safe. Obviously, it's a very precious stone. You keep it in your safe. And the sages came and they knocked on the door. And they said to him, okay, we want to buy the stone. We heard that you have the stone. And he knew that he would make an astronomic profit. Problem was the, the key to the safe was under his daddy's pillow. And his daddy was sleeping. So what did he say? He says, listen, I'm sorry. I know that you're in a rush. And I know that there's other competitors out there. You can get the... You can get the same stone from my competitors, and they'll get the profit, but I'm, I don't wake up my daddy to go get the key to the safe for the stone. So they went to the competitor, they bought it from him, and he lost all the profit. Says the Talmud, that's how far someone has to go to honor their parents, uh, to even be, be willing to forfeit a tremendous amount of profit to not cause their parents uh, pain in any way. That's what the Talmud says. And the Talmud goes on to say, as a, a mer- in merit of... This amazing mitzvah, 
this Dama Benassini, this 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 gentleman, this business person in in Ashkelon, he had a red heifer born in his flock. Now, red heifers are a very valuable commodity for the Jewish community because that's the only way to halachically change the status of someone who has become ritually impure because they came into contact with dead people. The only way to do it is to use this very complicated red heifer procedure that is detailed in the Torah. So the same sages came back to him and said, hey, we want to buy your red heifer this time. We don't want to buy any more stones. we got the stones covered, but we want the red heifer. And he says to them, listen, I know that the reason why God gave me the red heifer is because of me honoring my father. And now I can him up to get the key. And therefore, the, and, I, and I also know that I can charge you whatever amount in the world you'll pay it. There's no amount of money in the world that I could say you'll say no. But I know that I only got it because of honoring my father. And therefore, I'm only going to ask the, for the profit that I missed out on that mitzvah. And they doled out to him. The Talmud says, one opinion is that it was 600,000 gold coins. A second opinion was that it was 800,000 gold coins. Regardless, an astronomic figure, an exorbitant sum, they gave it to him and they bought the red heifer from him. That's the first story we're told about Dama Benassim, this non-Jew who excelled in honoring his parents. A second story is told about Dama Benassim. He was sitting amongst the high society, the aristocracy of Rome. He was dressed in very beautiful garments and he was around all these highfalutin people his mother came, she started cursing at him, she spit at him, she took his money, she threw it into the water, and he didn't respond. He was stoic, he accepted her, he didn't embarrass her publicly, even though she was acting like a total maniac. Now, it's, uh, the sages tell us that, you know, what would happen if your father was sleeping on the key, and then you, he finds out that you forsook a million-dollar opportunity to not wake him up and not interrupt his nap. Your father would be livid, probably. So is that honoring your father to not, to not wake him up? Maybe it's the opposite. Maybe he wants you to wake him up. So the Thomas, our sages tell us, well, look at his mom. His mom, mom's obviously crazy. His mom's acting like a total lunatic, right? She's, she's embarrassing. She's spitting him. She's throwing money into the ocean. It's, she's obviously crazy. It's, in all likelihood, his mo- dad was crazy, too. And they, that, that was the union. It was the union of two crazy people. And therefore, in his instance, he knew his father would be upset with him if he woke him up to get the key. He didn't care about the prophet. And therefore, that's why he had to honor his parents. But in a normal case, where the father would not be crazy, then you have to do what the father would be desirous of. But if the father is not desirous of it, even if it means losing a, a tremendous prophet, you must, uh, you must honor your father. Now, it is interesting. The Maharal points out the Talmud asks the question, you know, how, how far does it go to honor your father, to honor your mother? And it brings us a story with a Gentile in Ashkelon. He was an idolater. You couldn't find a nice Jewish guy who was also excelling in honoring your parents. Moreover, the Midrash tells us that Esau, Esau, the son of Isaac and Rebekah, excelled in this mitzvah more than Jacob. The, uh, the Midrash tells us that Rabbi Shimon said that my entire life I was servicing my, my father, but I didn't do 100th, 1% of what, a, of Esau, what Esau did for his father. Why? Because Esau had a special garment that he would put on. It means he had special clothes that he wore when he was honoring his parents. So whenever he was going to meet his father, he would put on special clothing to show even more respect. He would put on his, uh, his uh, bow tie and his tuxedo. 
And that's what he wore because it's like, a, I'm about to meet the king, so to speak. Such reverence that he had for his father. So it's really interesting that you see the, the, our sages are telling us all these great stories about Esau and his honoring his father and this dumb Benicino, this idolater, and him honoring the father. Couldn't he find a nice Jewish boy? Question number one. Question number two is that it's a very unusual reward that he got. He got a red heifer. In Jewish literature and in Jewish philosophy, the red heifer is always used as the representative of a chok, of a mitzvah that doesn't really make sense to us. So why would he get this particular reward for that particular mitzvah? So the Maharal, the great uh, sage from Prague, he tells us something very fundamental. He says, he quotes the Talmud, the Talmud says uh, the following scenario. It's Talmud, a book of Bamatziah. Suppose an individual is by the river and he happens to be there with his, his rabbi and his father. So they're going fishing. It was him with his father and his rabbi. And both his father and his rabbi lose something into the water. Whatever it is, their phone drops in the water, right? But one drops on this side of the boat, one drops on that side of the boat. And the son, the student, needs to jump in and save, but he can only save one of them. Which one do you save? Do you save the lost object of your father or do you save the lost object of your rabbi? So maybe we would think one way or the other, but the Talmud is like this. You have to save the lost object of your rabbi. Why? Because your father brings you to this world. Your rabbi brings you to the next world. Both of them bring you into worlds that you wouldn't have access to otherwise. But your father brings you to the physical world because after all, they're they're the biological origin of, of your physical existence. Your rabbi, well, he brings you to the spiritual world. Which one's more important, the spiritual or physical world? The spiritual world. And therefore, you, are, you, you are, have to accord more honor to your rabbi than to your father. You have to go save his lost object. That's what the Talmud says. Now, it's important to stress, if your father is also your rabbi, or even partially your rabbi, or even a sage, then you have to save your father because then it's both, right? But in a case where this is your... Just your father doesn't teach you anything. And this is just your rabbi. He teaches you everything. Then you have to save your rabbi because he's, his, his role in bringing you to the world is, is, is greater. So the Talmud says. Says the Maharal, you know, Jacob. Which world did Jacob prioritize? Did he prioritize this world or the next world, the spiritual world or the physical world? Obviously, he prioritized the, the spiritual world. To him, it was much harder for him to honor his father. Because his father brought him to this world, but he's not, he wasn't so excited about this world. And therefore, Esav, his brother, who lived entirely for the physical world, he's someone that says that I love this world so much. I have so much appreciation for my daddy. And therefore, he had still limits for whereas Jacob, it was much more difficult because to him, he was more focused on the spiritual world. And similarly, the Talmud's kind of hinting at that. When he gives a story about this idolater, not someone who's living entirely for the physical world, to him, it comes more naturally to have uh, honor, to accord honor to his parents. And therefore, it highlights that they excel at this a little bit more. And it's also revealing to us the, the difficulty that we have that this mitzvah doesn't necessarily jive with our spiritual priorities. Now, why the red heifer? So another fascinating insight that the morale says that there's a mitzvah that's the most logical. 
And that mitzvah, the most logical, is honoring your parents. After all, no one has done more for you than your parents. And it's only a right and natural for you to honor them, for you to record them some compensation, some, some reciprocity for what they've done for you. That's the most logical mitzvah. By human intellect, the most illogical mitzvah is the red heifer. And therefore, someone does the red heifer. Some, and therefore, someone does honoring your parents, and they get the red heifer as the reward. And that's the answer. The answer is that ultimately, the same reason why we do this is why we do that. That's the lesson. The lesson for us is that yes, we may have natural inclinations to do one mitzvah versus another mitzvah. And we may have human intellect that says this makes sense, this doesn't make sense, this makes a little bit sense. And here it tells us the thing that makes the most sense in the human intellect and the thing that makes the least sense in the human intellect, both of those come together here to tell you that they're really the same. It is appropriate to reward someone for their honoring their parents, the most logical mitzvah by human standards, with the red heifer, the most illogical mitzvah by human standards, to teach us this particular lesson that really they are the same because ultimately the reason why we do mitzvahs is not because of the logic, the human logic, but because of the divine instruction and the divine logic. I want to end with my favorite story of honoring your parents that is told about um, one of the great sages of the post War, uh, uh, yeshiva world. His name was Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky. He incidentally happens to be my great great uncle and also my namesake. But he was um, someone who, who came to America actually before the war and became the head of the yeshiva, the Rosh Yeshiva, one of the major yeshivas in America, and became one of the uh, most influential rabbis in America after the war. But the story goes he was once on a plane and he was there with his son. And they were traveling together, probably going to Israel, wherever they were going. I don't know where they were going, but they were traveling together. And the entire flight, his son is getting him to drink. His son is helping him. You know, he's, he's taking care of him, helping him with his jacket, helping him with his, with his luggage, making sure he's comfortable, uh, taking care of him in every way. The whole, the whole flight is taking care of him the, the, the whole way. And he's sitting next to this elderly gentleman, and the elderly gentleman tells him, what's the secret? Like, my son, you know, views me as some sort of old guy, doesn't give me honor, it speaks back at me, it's totally disrespectful in every way. Like, what's, like, what's the disconnect? How come your son is giving you so much honor versus my son, who's giving me total disrespect all the time? So Rabbi Kamenetsky told him, he says, well, I'll tell you the difference. In our worldview, the peak of humanity was achieved at Sinai. And at Sinai, you know, the people, the nation had a tremendous revelation, a tremendous experience. And we're always kind of looking back at that. That's kind of the founding event of our, of our history. And therefore, someone's parent is, is one generation closer to that. Someone's grandparents, two generations close to that. And therefore, we kind of, we revere them because they're, they're worthy of our honor because they're closer to human greatness. You, you believe that the man evolved from the monkey, from the ape. Therefore, kind of going backwards is actually regressing because the father is closer to the ape and the son's more human and therefore the son's kind of progressing and therefore he looks at you and says, you're closer to the ape. Why should I give you more honor? You should give me honor. I said that, that was the story that he told him. 
it's just a, an interesting idea. I think the, the angle of it is that you know, to us, our parents not only they gave us our life and they gave us everything that we have physically, but really they're a connection to our past. They're closer to the, the idealized state of humanity. They're the ones who have given us inspiration. They're the ones who have given us uh, even character. If someone says, hey, you know, I believe this. You know, I'm righteous. Where did that come from? You know, your goodness, your, 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 your character, your behavior, all those can really be traced back to your parents, even if you don't really like them or even if you find all their flaws. And you know what? Children are engineered to discover their parents' flaws. Still, it's one of the most important mitzvahs. The Talmud tells us that there's two mitzvahs that were told explicitly that you will have long life, and they are, number one, honoring your parents, number two, sending away the mother bird and taking the, child, the, the baby bird. It means if you want to take the baby birds, you have to first send away the mother. Says the Talmud, this is the most severe mitzvah, this is the most lenient mitzvah, both of them were told the same reward because both of them, this is the reward for all the mitzvahs and everything that's included in between. This is the most severe mitzvah. It's uh, very critical. It's one of the Ten Commandments. And uh, therefore, let us reflect on this. And like the Sefer Chinuch told us, we should take it to that last mile to not only honor our parents who did so much for us, not only revere our parents who did so much for us, but take it also to revere God and to honor God. But take it also to revere God and to honor God who, of course, did even more for us.